You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, Unnecessary Christmas! Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores issues of science, critical thinking, and secular humanism. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at lueepodcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at lueepodcast.com. My name is Ashlyn Noble, and I will be hosting this unnecessary Christmas episode. <laughs> With me today, I have Lauren Bailey. Hello. Jam Newman. Hi. And Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. So we uh, came up with this episode while trying to think of something Christmas or holiday related that we had not yet touched upon, and Laura came up with the idea of talking about all of the things surrounding the holidays that are unnecessary and ridiculous. I think that uh, most of us around this table enjoy the holidays. No. (laughs) I said most specifically to exclude you. (laughs) But there are for sure some trappings and traditions and... Things that are very exploitable that we could probably do without around the holidays. And sometimes it's fun to examine those things. So we are going to do so today, starting with Lauren. I have a particular dislike for holiday gift guides. Whether old-fashioned catalogs or the modern website version. The catalogs I can at least understand. Through the magic of capitalist pressure, our store can make your holidays happy. Buy these gifts, these house trimmings, these specific foods, and you can pretend for one damn day that your life is TV perfect. Okay, but what about the wish book? Do you hate the wish book? I hate everything. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite pages were always the, like, under 50, under 20, under 10 dollars, and they would have the selections of things you could buy for super cheap. When I was a kid, Christmas meant going to consumers distributing. Did anybody else have that? No. I know of it, but we never really did that. It was I an in-store catalog shopping. Oh. Yeah. So you would go to the store and then they would have these display models set up and you would page through the catalog and use your little, like at Lee Valley, yeah, you have to fill in the, say, yeah. you fill in the, the order slip and you hand it to the person at the desk and they go to the back and they get Christmas for you. They hmm. get all the toys. It was open year round. It's now been demolished, and in the, well, the Thunder Bay one was demolished, replaced with a Sears, which is now standing empty. Thunder Bay has been demolished, <laughs> including my hopes and dreams. Every time we go to Thunder Bay, she's like, that's where I used to do this, and now it's demolished, and that's where we used to go to school, and now it's an old folks' home. <laughs> so catalogs, I mean, I think they're kind of on their way out. I don't yeah. know a lot of people who get catalogs to their house anymore. So more, we're looking... You still get the Ikea catalog? I meant for, like, the special Christmas ones. <laughs> I will talk a little bit later about a couple that do come to the door, but mostly I'm going to talk about internet-based gift guides. I have a more deep dislike for these internet gift guides put together by influencers. They make it into commission from website clicks, but, and this is entirely my opinion, these gift guides are put together as some of the most tone-deaf vanity projects of the year. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the, the click-through referral links are the things that, that bother me like mm-hmm. most about all of these things. We may get money from this, so if you click through, it'll make us happy. So if you see something like that and you legitimately want an item, you'll go and you'll search it out on your own? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. <laughs> this is a case where my impulse to do that is totally at odds with my actual values because I would much rather Jeff Bezos not get a slightly bigger slice of the pie, you know what I mean? Like, 
<laughs> what am I thinking? But that is like my that, initial uh, reaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like if a, a website has up. put together a list of stuff and I want to buy something off of that list, they have done their job and I will reward them with a click. Oh, yeah, that, that's fair. Like, it depends on context, too. Yeah. Like, the things that I find egregious in, in the referral link land is mostly the, this is a review, but it's not actually a review. It's my mm. opinion mm-hmm. on the product, but that opinion will be sunny because I would love you to click this referral link. Right. I don't click through on, like, BuzzFeed referral links, but for smaller websites that I, I know are run by people as opposed to corporations I do, like Go Fug Yourself does a gift guide. And while I don't agree with gift guides in principle, if I was going to click through from a gift guide, it will be from them because it's two women running this website out of their homes. So A lot of baking blogs are very weird for this. Like they'll say, uh, I made a recipe today with such and such brand coffee creamer, and it's amazing, and the coffee creamer really makes it, and it's like clearly just an advertisement at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. will say they provided this coffee creamer for me to make a recipe with. Yep, but it's yep. yeah, that's very very common. Oh, yeah. I do for a it's lot a of icky. yeah, it is annoying, or it's just like this particular brand of cocoa. I'm like, I'm going to buy the cheapest cocoa I can find. I don't care. <laughs> I will never, ever order cocoa from Amazon that will take two weeks to get here when I can go to the store five minutes away. I'm two sorry. Weeks. Yeah, well, what kind of Amazon you shop on? Yeah. Not Prime. <laughs> yeah, you got you got uh, Prime, like, one-hour delivery now via AI and also a lot of labor exploitation. Yeah. This is about Christmas, Jim. That's a different show. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not supposed to talk about exploitation of labor on Christmas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just said not this episode. <laughs> so I know what we're talking about in January. Yeah, good January episode. <laughs> Couldn't even wait till your turn to be a downer, eh? Anyway, Lauren, tell yeah. us about gift guides. <laughs> I was going to start with everyone's favorite celebrity influencer, mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> oh, and her website, Goop. You've said quite a few things about the anti-science, anti-sense malarkey that Goop spouts in its health and wellness sections. But the holiday gift guide might actually take the cake for tone-deaf product promotions. Not only are the products only priced to be afforded by the ultra-wealthy, but some of them are damaging to people and to the environment. Like one item on the 2018 list that is getting a lot of attention. So let's give it some more. The Goop gift guide contains a subsection called Ridiculous But Awesome Gifts, and the biggest ridiculous gift costs over $172,000. It's a village in Lugo, Spain. An entire freaking village. For only 172 grand? It's US though, so it's probably like 250 Canadian. <laughs> what could you do with a village, you may be wondering? Well, you could lord it over the remaining inhabitants, or you could trade it in for a fixer upper home in the Winnipeg market, mm-hmm. or a shed in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> or you could mess with the entire cultural and economic structure of northern Spain. In most of Western Europe, people fled these small villages for city life during the Industrial Revolution. In Spain, folk stayed rural a bit longer. Exoduses happened in the 1930s, during the Spanish Revolution, and after Franco's death and return to the monarchy in the 1970s, and most recently, and still kind of ongoing, during the economic crisis. So several of these villages stand empty or sparsely populated. You'll find similar ones in rural Italy and France as well. They are offered for different price points. There are websites that sell these villages. Most of the buildings in these villages are run down or they are shells. Very few have any amenities like running water or electricity. The villages have caused soil erosion due to having existed for centuries. There may not be 
infrastructure like roads leading out of town. Rich or trendy individuals buying up huge tracts of land really do nothing for the local economies because you cannot repair these villages without more, much larger infusions of money. Likewise, the bill for demolition is prohibitive, especially if there is some notable historic value to the area. The new owner may not be able to take down the village to put up whatever McMansion monstrosity they want. When you buy a ramshackle village, you're buying a status symbol and playing with the few lives that still try to eke out an existence in the area. So a village is at the extreme end of the holiday gift guide. But there has to be a few good items that she's offering, right? Wait, so, but why is there any rationale? Like, I understand that the ultra-wealthy are Mm -hmm. the worst. But is there any rationale offered for why this would make a good Christmas gift? Like, just because it's an expensive thing? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's just a status symbol. Yeah. Uh, okay. Look what I bought you. Look what I bought you. We have peasants now. Yeah. <laughs> we have serfs. Yay! Yeah. Except the serfs are all 90 years old because everybody younger than that left for the cities where they could get healthcare and jobs. I'm kind of amazed that there are towns out there that don't have running water in, like, well-developed nations. That's mm-hmm. just blowing my mind. Well, it, I think it's because most of the people would have left and everything is probably in pretty yeah. bad disrepair. All the infrastructure is just, just demolished. The, ah. the ghost town that I lived in when I was 11 or 12, I think we only had running water in the town hall where we lived. Most of the outbuildings did not have running water. Yeah, from what I looked at on some of these villages, they say like one building has power and water and the yep. rest are walls and maybe a roof. So what are some other ridiculous things besides a village that Gwyneth is offering in her extremely expensive part of her gift guide. Well, Goop's guide this year also included some solid gold rolling papers. For when eating 24 karat gold isn't decadent enough, why don't you smoke it into oblivion as well? What? Oh, rolling papers. Rolling oh, papers. God. I, I can't imagine that that is helpful. <laughs> I did some I science. Want, I want heavy metal vapors directly yeah, into like my... that sounds awful. <laughs> okay, so I have worked with gold leaf. Solid gold leaf. And it's very, very thin. And it would be impossible to roll anything into it and have it stay intact. So, and if it was any thicker, I don't think it would burn. So I don't believe that it's 100% gold. I think it might be, like, on the paper. Okay, so I would believe, like, a gold-leafed paper, sure, but not solid gold. Okay, well, I haven't actually ordered one to test. (laughs) You said solid gold. Does it say solid gold in the article? It says solid gold rolling papers. So if you have... It's a lie. Okay. So I'm going to throw some science at you. While gold is among the most inert of the metals, scientific tests done on rats show a buildup of inhaled particles in both the lungs and the kidneys over time, leading to decreased function in both organs from inhaling gold. Duh. (laughs) I wanted to make sure. I went to read a study. Uh I put it in the show notes for our good listeners. So I'm done ragging on Paltrow and her earth-harming pseudoscience and then smug, unbearably self-aware ad copy. She's not telling anyone this year to steam out the wrinkles in their vagina or attach semi-precious stones to their labia or dreadlock their decorative pubes or anything else to do with one's crotchal region. Well, mostly. There's still a heavy dose of snake oil items and ridiculous pieces of clothing. She says this year that she basically invented yoga, but these are all stories for another day. So I want to say that I am at least mollified by the fact that the heading that you described was ridiculous gifts. So she at least knows that these are ridiculous. And that is the problem, is her ad copy is so goddamn smug that it's hard Mm. to make fun of. They're like, oh, look how we're winking at this. Like, no. You're still being insufferable, but you're, you're still making cashing it, the checks. But you're making it very difficult for me to make fun of you when you're like, I'm in on the joke. Would you enjoy a gift guide 
of ridiculous gift guides. Like <laughs> I read a couple the best of, of the best. How about a gift guide of ridiculous gift guide gift guides? <laughs> I did read one that had a yodeling pickle on it. Okay. For the person who has everything, get them a yodeling pickle. I feel like I've heard of this thing before. Mm-hmm. Somebody that I know mentioned that they have encountered one of these things in real life before. They've the- seen a yodeling pickle in yes. the wild? Well, not in the wild. Everybody knows they're only domesticated. (laughs) Go on. So we do have some other easy-to-find gift guides that aren't put together by the staff of -of out-of-touch celebrities, and these are also worth getting cranky about. Deadspin's Hater's Guide, created by Drew Magary, has done yeoman's work taking down the Williams-Sonoma gift guide each December holiday season since 2012. As of this recording, the 2018 version is not yet up, but previous years have included such gems as a chicken coop made entirely of reclaimed redwood, retail price $5.99 US plain, or $7.60 US with a chicken painted on the outside. That's not the worst possible no. price for a whole chicken coop. How about six pieces of chocolates for upwards of $20? What? I would like to eat that chocolate. Yeah, why is this chocolate <laughs> so expensive? It's sea salt, miraculous, made by virgin children <laughs> chocolate. I don't know. They also sell, like, lobster thermidor that you can have shipped right to your door. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. Williams-Sonoma made their name selling peppermint bark to the masses, but they somehow managed to offload hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise onto folks looking to create the movie-perfect Christmas that they remember from their baby boomer childhoods. Besides the obvious hilarity, why am I bagging on gift guides? I'm of the opinion that they contribute to and glorify the rabid consumerism in effect around this time of year, knowing that someone somewhere has the most perfect of everything and can afford to buy their loved ones an abandoned village or a toaster that burns dirty words into your breakfast can get under the skin of some folks and it will lead them into massive amounts of debt. And maybe I'm bitter. I've never found a gift guide that helps me figure out exactly what to buy for anyone, especially that extremely hard to shop for Dave of ours. (laughs) Okay, but you didn't mention the $2,000 paperclip and I'm disappointed. Can you enlighten me? I didn't come across that one. Okay, so Tiffany... And company. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> has a paperclip that is made of 18 karat gold and is $2,050. Is it for sale Why? this year? Yes. Yeah, it's for sale right now. You could buy it. You, there's also a oh $250 silver version. It is two and a half inches long and it is supposed to be a bookmark. It says, Timeless design meets modern attitude in the out-of-retirement collection based on archival Tiffany designs. This oversized golden paperclip is the perfect whimsical desk accessory. How dare they use your word. You're going to lose that immediately. <laughs> Giant immediately. paperclip. Immediately. $2,000. Well, oh. it comes in the, in the baby blue box and you store it in that so everybody knows that yeah. you got a gift from Tiffany. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, I don't usually use gift guides because I find that they do not relate to the people in my life. I feel mm-hmm. like if the people in my life were characters on TV dramas or sitcoms, maybe I would find gifts for them. But I do not have a lot of people in my life that these things would be applicable for or that I'm willing to spend upwards of $300 per person yeah. on. I was like, that's my, I'm trying to cap out at, at like less than that if I can, please, for my, everybody. Never well, mind on one person. You love a bunch of weirdos. So <laughs> it's hard to find gifts for people who have very specific interests. But Jem can attest, my family's pretty normal, mm-hmm. right? And even still, like, 
there's not stuff on those gift guides for no. my parents. Or I feel like that. all of the guides for dads, especially, assume that they enjoy sports and golf and barbecuing and beer. Okay, yeah, yeah. and you my must dad love is just barbecuing. Not into no those cars. Things. You have to love cars. Yeah. Like, like you are a man's man, and that's what it always is. So every year around Father's Day, I'm like, well, this is bad. <laughs> or you shop at the Sharper Image, and you have, like, fancy ties and pens that are worth $2,000 or whatever. Hey, I'm going to talk about the Sharper Image in my uh, uh, segment. Why don't we go there now, then? So who among us is planning to give gift cards this year to at least one person? I'm not planning to give any gift cards, but I'm hoping to receive them. <laughs> I don't know if I am or not yet. Again, with the receiving, our favorite gift from my mom is when she sends grocery gift cards. Mm. So we don't have to buy food in January. <laughs> we can just, well, we don't have to pay for food in January. <laughs> <laughs> so the most recent numbers that I could find claimed that gift cards were the second most popular holiday gift, just behind clothing. But your mother this. But these data are actually 12 years old, and I would be astonished if gift cards hadn't taken the top spot by now. Unfortunately, I just, I couldn't find more recent numbers. Wow, 12 years old. They're right behind Tickle Me Elmo on that list. (laughs) (laughs) So for most of the segment, I'm going to set aside my deep skepticism of holiday consumerism. Uh, I'm sure that the listener can take it as read that I think we spend far too much money on consumer goods uh, around the holidays and year-round, and that this contributes to environmental degradation and general misery, and this money could be put to much better use. But I'm also a hypocrite who loves stuff and who especially enjoys shopping for the perfect gift. Yeah. It is satisfying. It is. I love watching people open gifts that I've gotten them. It's my favorite. I love picking out stuff for my kids. Mm. Oh, Yeah, reining you in on kids' gifts is really tough. <laughs> Have you seen our house? <laughs> so for the purposes of this segment, let's just assume you're going to give someone a gift and you're considering giving a gift card. There's an understandable impulse, I think, uh, among some smarmy types to denigrate gift cards as a thoughtless gift, uh, a means of checking a box and saying, yeah, I got Uncle Reggie a gift without actually putting in the time to and care to find something meaningful. I'm not going to do a deep dive on the class issues surrounding this criticism, but suffice it to say, some people are legitimately difficult to shop for, but also for someone who's juggling multiple jobs, multiple kids, both, the time to track down the perfect gift for everyone on their list is a luxury that they simply don't have. For somebody with emotional labor issues, mm-hmm. it is also very difficult. I don't have multiple jobs, one, or multiple children. I have zero, but <laughs> gift cards make it much easier for me to not have to waste so much of my emotional capital thinking about others. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like it's it's a load off knowing that you've got your Christmas shopping done. And if you're struggling to come up with a gift for someone uh, or you don't have the time to shop or you don't have the emotional bandwidth, the gift card rack feels like a nice middle ground between just giving someone a pile of cash or spending three hours searching the mall before you finally settle on some junk from the as seen on TV store. But gift cards aren't just... <laughs> so much weird stuff in there. Oh, I was on their website today. So They got me weird. a spiral cutter for, for vegetables the other year, and I love it, but she I don't use it She specifically asked for it, to be I fair. Did. And that's I the did. only place we could find it. <laughs> Something to remember, too, is that gift cards aren't just about settling. A lot of snobs like me might see them that way, but sometimes a gift card is 
exactly the gift you want to give someone. At their best, gift cards can let you give a gift that's hard to wrap and put under the tree. You can buy someone a coffee or a movie or a nice night out. There's a coffee shop near my office called Fourth. Some afternoons, I'll wander over and grab a coffee and work from there for a few hours. I've got a laptop, and it's nice to get out of the office for a bit, you know? And it's not just me. I know a developer who works for Mozilla that works from there, and I've heard through the grapevine that a significant portion of the code for indie mega-hit Night in the Woods was written from that particular coffee shop. Mm, cool. uh, great game, by the way. You should you should play it. It's good. Anyway, Laura knows that I like it there, and she bought me a gift card for fourth as part of my birthday gift this year, which was really thoughtful. But it's not just consumers that love buying gift cards and getting gift cards. Retailers love them too. You might think, if you don't think about it for too long, <laughs> that gift cards cost retailers money. After all, they have to devote time and infrastructure to managing gift card balances, and the cards themselves aren't free. But the reality is that these marginal costs are recouped many times over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For one thing, a gift card is essentially a promise of a future sale, and a guaranteed sale is a guaranteed profit. What's more, because they're purchased as gifts, typically for other people, they're a guaranteed sale on behalf of someone who might not have given you a sale in the first place. Another thing to consider is the values uh, for the purchase points of these gift cards. We're all old enough to remember when gift certificates were written out by hand, yep. uh, and you could typically ask for whatever value you wanted. But these days, gift cards are most often sold in block values. This means that when the card is used, you end up in one of two scenarios— Either the consumer spends more than the value of the card, which is a happy occasion for the retailer, or they have a few bucks left over on the card, and it sits at the bottom of the drawer for 10 years before it's eventually thrown out. According to Consumer Reports, a year after receiving a gift card, about a quarter of consumers still haven't spent them. While most customers who make a purchase with a gift card end up spending more than the value of the card. Mm -hmm. Either way, that's a win for the retailer. From the retailer's perspective, a gift card can be considered a completely unsecured short-term loan at zero interest. The customer is giving you a chunk of money now, and maybe you'll have to pay up later, but if you do, you'll pay up in the form of merchandise that you're taking a profit margin on anyway. In the best-case scenario, they'll lose the card, or just never get around to spending it, and that's free money. The technical term for this is breakage which refers to any service sold to a customer that is never actually used. Uh, you can gym also... Memberships. Gym memberships. Gym memberships <laughs> are, are a, sh a shining example. Another is download uh, gigabytes on your cell phone plan, mm. for example. Mm -hmm. Breakage is a sufficient source of profit that retailers like Best Buy include it as a percentage in their quarterly profit forecasts. Two additional methods of securing revenue for gift cards have actually dried up over the last decade. It was once common for retailers to place expiration dates on their mm -hmm. gift cards, providing a means by which they can renege on their loan and from the customer. They, yeah, luckily, <laughs> government stepped in on that one. In addition, some cards would charge per-use or monthly fees mm -hmm. against the card mm -hmm. balance. This has declined significantly in recent years, especially in the face of improved customer protection laws in both the United States and Canada. As of 2011, only 2.5% of gift cards in the United States were subject to expiration dates, while 2.7% charged fees against the balance on the card. Visa gift cards still do that. As far as the laws go, in Canada and the United States, you can't charge sales tax on the purchase of the card itself, uh, because that would be double dipping. Right. right. <laughs> uh, the tax is paid from the card value at the time of the mm -hmm. purchase of whatever you're buying, if applicable. 
and new legislation strengthening consumer protections on gift cards was introduced Canada-wide in 2007. While the details vary somewhat by province, all provinces now have bans on both expiry dates and fees for gift cards, with some limited exceptions. So as Ashlyn mentioned, um, Visa and uh, MasterCard, anything that is a uh, what they call an open-loop gift card can charge these kinds of fees. I'll get into a bit more detail in a sec. In Manitoba, expiry dates are only permitted on cards that are sold for a specific good or service. So if you buy a $50 gift card at a massage therapist's office, uh, that $50 gift card cannot expire. It can't have an expiry date. However, if you buy a gift card that is good for one massage... Mm. and that gift card costs $50, then that can have an expiry date. Presumably, this is because the cost of that massage might go up at some future point. However, in some jurisdictions like Quebec, they still have to value the original cost of the card, and then they can just charge in uh, the the difference. Like Groupon has to now. Oh, really? Yeah, so Groupon used to be able to, if you didn't use the Groupon within the specified time... It was just worth nothing. But now, if you buy a Groupon, if it's worth 50% off at Lint or whatever, they now have that expire. But if you paid $15 for $30 worth of chocolate, they still have to give you $15 worth of chocolate for it. Huh. There was a big lawsuit a while back. That makes That's sense. Cool. The other exception is when nothing of value uh, that's the the way the way it's termed in the legislation is exchanged for the card when it's issued. So an example would be you buy a card for a charitable donation. You're actually donating to a charity, and at the same time, the charity is giving you a like a gift card that's worth a certain monetary value. But those can have expiration dates, mm-hmm. just because of the way that shell game is played. <laughs> Similarly, retailers are forbidden from charging fees on gift card purchases, except in three cases. They're allowed to charge a fee to replace a lost gift card, and this is typically done in the case where you register the gift card to your name, like I know Starbucks does this, for example. You can also charge fees to customize the appearance of a gift card. <laughs> Somehow, for some reason, you're going to put your a picture of your kids on your gift card. Uh, they can charge you for that. They can also charge fees in the specific case of gift cards that are valid for multiple retail outlets. This is uh, this often happens in the case of a gift card that's good for every store in a mall. In that case, a small fee of up to $2.50 per month can be charged against the remaining balance on the card only if it has been dormant for at least one year. Yeah. And uh, this last one might have been rolled back. I found conflicting information about that, um, and I was unable to find an up-to-date copy of the legislation. So the United States has had similar legislation on the book since 2010. It is slightly more consumer antagonistic. (laughs) Uh, So in the U.S., this federal legislation takes the place of a whole bunch of scattershot state laws that were on the books earlier in the 2000s. But it allows expiry dates uh, on cards provided they are at least five years out from the time of purchase. Uh, and it places limits, but not bans on fees. And fees are allowed if the card has been inactive for at least a year. The other big exception to these regulations uh, that Ashley mentioned earlier is prepaid credit cards, uh, or any cards that are so-called open loop. Um, what that means is you can spend them anywhere. They're essentially like cash. They can have, in both Canada and the United States, they can have expiry dates, activation fees, and per-use fees. I've received these as gifts in the past, and it's always made me a little sad. I understand that it's hard to buy for 
me, <laughs> but it's hard to buy for someone. But when you give somebody a prepaid Visa gift card, you should almost always give cash because yeah. then yeah. you're not you're not spending 10% of that gift card value and just throwing it Visa's direction. Visa doesn't need that money. But I do recognize that there are exceptions here. Um, in a lot of cases, a credit card is required to make online purchases. And uh, for some people, a prepaid credit card is their best or only option. Bad credit, no credit, no problem, right? So, but even with uh, this new legislation, with no expiry dates, cards can still, in fact, expire. In February 2008, the Sharper Image filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. While many Sharper Image retail stores remained open for several months and the brand relaunched a few years later, uh, Sharper Image stopped honoring all gift cards at the Mm -hmm. time of filing Chapter 11. And by the time the last stores had closed at the end of 2008, customers still collectively held approximately $66 million in gift cards that were now worthless. A very similar and more recent uh, is HMV. Same thing happened. Yep. Mm -hmm. Toys R Us in the States. Toys R Us in the Um, States. There was a children's store a few years ago that did... Circuit City, I think, uh, or was it one of the previous iterations of that brand? Radio Yeah. Uh, It was Radio Shack, but that was... So remember that when you buy a gift card, the loan that you are making to the retailer is unsecured. You are not a creditor, (laughs) so you don't even have the protections that uh, the rest of the creditors to that company do when it goes under. The last thing that you probably want to watch out for when it comes to gift cards is tampering. Most people know that shoplifting gift cards doesn't work. The gift cards have no value until they're activated at the till, right? But clever scammers can still lift pins or online activation codes from the cards. Many retailers offer online portals where the available balance of the card can be monitored along with its associated numbers. So scammers can lift the pins or activation codes and then leave the cards at the front of the rack. And they monitor the cards online, and as soon as a balance pops up, they can use the stolen pins to make online purchases. Mm. Be careful. Make sure if you're going to buy a gift card, you check for tampering. Make sure that pin pin, uh, uh, foil hasn't been uh, scraped off or torn off or peeled and then replaced. That sort of thing. So, look, I get it. People can be hard to buy for. Sometimes that's because they're hard to buy for. And you need to give them a gift anyway. Like, I, that's totally fine. Gift cards can be great. But sometimes when somebody's hard to buy for, it's because, you know, they don't actually need anything. Mm-hmm. And if you're buying me a gift, you know, I, I, I've got plenty. I think that perhaps when we can't think of something to give to somebody, that might sometimes be an indication that we can spend that money in another way. That money giving a gift to somebody who, who actually needs it. Helping those who do need something. So we're trying to scale back our gift giving this Christmas, and I'd like to put that money into helping people who actually need it. So this is this is something for us all to think about, I think, uh, especially for those of our listeners who, like us, are are well off and have some uh, gift money to spare around the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to cross those streams, we have a, a holiday gift guide for you. <laughs> it's, it's our guide to charities. It's not a gift guide. It's a donation guide. <laughs> yeah. 
well, uh, we might as well make the plug. Um, if, if you want to give us a holiday gift this season, um, you can make a donation at luepodcast.com. This show will go away eventually. <laughs> We won't be doing this forever, and to be honest, downloads have been down lately. But if you like this show, sending a donation our way is a good way to uh, to let us know. Um, if you can't donate, we totally understand, so share an episode that you like with your friends, or share it on social media, or whatever, you know? Five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all that garbage. Those make us happy. They do make us happy. Anyway, that's it. Gift cards. They, uh, they, they kind of suck because... You know, consumerism kind of sucks. Everything sucks. <laughs> there is no gravity. The earth just sucks. <laughs> so in my opinion, going into debt for the holidays is one of the most unnecessary yet time-honored holiday traditions. <laughs> Yay! How much do you think the average Canadian intends to spend during the 2018 holiday season? Average Canadian. Uh, you're saying just on uh, gifts and celebrations? Intends to spend. Okay, but like, <laughs> like, does that include like normal utility bills or... No, on... I'm sorry, I'm yes. really like holiday this. specific yeah, yeah. Holidays, things. extra stuff for the holidays. And is this individuals, so we're not talking households? Right. $2,000. Intends to spend? Intends to spend. $200. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say 1000 Okay. According to the Retail Council of Canada, the average person intends to spend $675 during the upcoming holiday season, about the same amount as 2017. I'm going to nope right out of that. (laughs) (laughs) What percentage of people do you think typically blow their intentions out of the water? 90. (laughs) 83. Yeah, I'll go 91. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laura wins this round. Well, no, I guess Lauren does. About one in three people typically overspend what they intended. That's so, all? Right? I was, that's wow. not that bad. Well, the rest of us are dead broke. <laughs> According to Magnify Money's annual post-holiday debt survey, Americans <laughs> racked up an average of $1,054 of debt during the 2017 holidays, and only half of those surveyed said they planned to pay off that debt in three months or less. So most people yeah. intend to take that debt and they just hang don't have it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be there forever. Well, um, yeah, I think that's the way debt works these days. Yeah, yep. I I also feel a little self conscious about my guess. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars. <laughs> Almost thirty percent said that they will need five months or more to pay off their Christmas debt. So the year is almost wrapped back around by the time you got that figured out. Sounds about right. Uh, One of the biggest expenses, according to the council, is alcohol, along with food and sweets for holiday entertaining. So I thought that gifts was going to be the big one, but apparently it's food and booze, which makes sense for me. Going into debt for booze. But it's eating out, too. Like, that would include not just entertaining at your house, but, like, also remember, too, that this is a thing that I always forget to do, because I'm not a good adult, but you're supposed to bring wine when you go places. So you get invited (laughs) to five parties... That's like five bottles of five wine. bottles of wine, and even if you're going the cheapest, like the cheapest drinkable wine, that's at least fifty bucks right there. In Never Canada. mind in Canada, yeah, yeah. We but, don't have but, two buck chuck, <laughs> but but still, like the point is like you know it's it's those little things, and then it's a drink here after work, or mm-hmm. and then it's this party. But at I this think a lot of people really that. do spend a lot on bottles of alcohol for home. I don't think yeah, I don't think a lot of it is actually eating out. No, I think I think I'm just not used to doing that, so yeah. I forget that other people do. <laughs> So, 
a lot of the issue with those kinds of expenses is that we don't include them in our holiday budget. Right. Yes. We think about how much are we going to spend on gifts, but we don't think about how much are we going to spend on Christmas dinner? How much are we going to spend yeah. on, you know, the bottles of wine that we have to take places? How much are we going to spend on our New Year's party every freaking year? <laughs> <laughs> my, re- my request this year was zero. Mm-hmm. You got overruled. You're doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So people often only save receipts for gifts in case things have to be returned. And if you don't save the receipts for everything else, it's really hard to budget for next year. Um, So one of the tips that I saw while I was reading all of these articles was you should just save everything that you spend during December and then divide it up and save that much money each month. But that's not going to happen for most people. A lot of people don't have the extra money every month, and that's why they go into debt, because they think that buying people presents and celebrating is more important than financial security. Planning is hard and important, and it can solve some of these problems. Like, some of these problems can't be solved except by people getting paid better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the average Canadian adult spent an estimated $1,500 on Christmas in 2017. Uh, About 41% of that was gifts, the rest going to holiday travel and entertainment. Mm. This is according to PWC Canada. Other studies tell us that two-thirds of Canadians do not save a penny in preparation for Christmas spending. So it all goes into credit card debt, probably. So I looked into the social sciences of debt and what we know about debt and also some of the best strategies for paying off debt. Thought maybe people could use that around this time of year. Mm-hmm. I guess we should have uh, done this episode in September, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Scientific American article about debt that I thought was really cool, and they describe a couple of experiments that they did. So I'm going to tell you about those. In one experiment, we asked people who had credit card debt to imagine that they had amassed so much credit card debt that they were not able to pay off their balance each month and would likely be making payments on their credit cards for the next couple of years. We then presented them with several different advertisements for a refinance loan from a credit union. While the basic information in terms of the loan was the same across all advertisements, we randomly varied the way we described the interest rates. In one ad, we noted that the average credit card interest rate is around 19%, and the new loan's interest rate could be closer to 6%. In another ad, we stated the difference in interest paid over a three-year term on a $10,000 loan at the different interest rates. And in a third ad, we provided a visual of the interest paid by graphing the difference. So basically, the first advertisement was very ineffective. Nobody was really interested. (laughs) And they were only willing to invest uh, four hours of their time into dealing with the refinancing but by the time we get to the one where they show you graphically how much money you will save they were willing to invest eight hours into figuring out how to do that so people are not good at figuring out what interest rates mean for them this should not be surprising (laughs) math is hard interest is also very complicated right especially when you get into compounding and yada yada and so It is particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. So I guess I figured that with big numbers like 19 versus 6, it would be a bigger deal. And it's a much bigger deal when you know that compounding exists. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't understand that at all. Right. So yeah, 8 hours versus 4 hours. They were willing to put in twice as much time and effort when they saw a graph of how much they would be saving. Hmm. Usual for most things. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that's 
useful to know for a lot of people? Like maybe look up what your interest rate is and, you know, visually compare things. Okay, so here's another experiment that they did. Participants played a game that asked them to pay multiple debts of varying amounts and interest rates. They were given a paycheck at the beginning of each round and asked to allocate all or some proportion of that amount to each of their various debts. A financially optimal player would allocate all of the money to the debt with the highest interest rate. But even though participants experienced how interest compounded their debt from one round to the next, only 3%, 5 of 162 people who were participating, allocated money in ways that were close to optimal. (laughs) Instead, an overwhelming majority of participants elected to pay off the smaller debts first. The sheer number of people using this strategy, including MBA students who took finance classes, suggests that paying off the smaller debts first is not just a mistake, but a planned strategy rooted in our psychology. The research shows that individuals are, quote, debt account adverse, which means that consumers with multiple debts are motivated to reduce the total number of debts rather than reducing the total of their associated costs. People may also be looking at it like tasks. Yeah. You might go into work and see, I've got this big project and three little projects. If I do the three little projects quickly... You can knock them out. I can knock out that one and get focused on the big project. Yeah. And it's also often a bad strategy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you end up spending all day on little things. You never get around to the big one. Yeah. Or, like, the other way that I tend to look at that is, the best way for me to be productive is to have one big thing that I don't want to do. (laughs) I get so much done. (laughs) Part of this can be explained by something called goal gradient theory. For example, if you get a punch card that gives you a free coffee after you've bought ten, people become much more motivated to get more coffee after making a certain number of purchases already. So they see that they are almost there, so they want to get to the end so they buy more than they would normally, which is very convenient for mm-hmm. for the chain. Mm-hmm. So goal gradient theory suggests that consumers are willing to be willing to put more effort or allocate more resources toward debts that are smaller just to finish paying them off, even if it doesn't make sense financially. I love love this quote from the article. In short, the sciences say that humans aren't really rational creatures. <laughs> no way. <laughs> The rational thing to do would be to choose the debt payoff method that saves the most money and interest, but that's not the best way to pay off debt, according to several studies. That's not the best way to pay off debt? It is not the best way, because the best way to pay off debt is the one that you're going to finish. And there are more studies who Ah. say... So (laughs) (laughs) the two big ones that get talked a lot about in like debt repayment groups and self-help places Mm -hmm. are the debt avalanche and the debt snowball. Uh, The debt snowball was popularized by Dave Ramsey, who is kind of a gross person, but it's been sort of taken out of his realm and popularized further. So it's snowball. It's snowball. (laughs) So there was a a Kellogg School of Management study that looked at both of them and found basically that people who start with their smallest debts and pay it off are way more motivated to keep paying off their debt. And when you start with the debt that's the biggest, even if it has the highest interest rate and it's going to cost you more in the long run, if it's going to take you two years to pay off the one thing and you still have to keep making these minimum payments on everything else, it's just totally demoralizing and people Mm -hmm. give up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's better emotionally to start hitting those goals. So the debt avalanche is the optimal one where you take 
your thing that's going to cost you the most money, and you start with that, and you keep going towards your lower and lower interest rates, but while still making minimum payments on everything. Right. The debt snowball is you make minimum payments on everything, and then put any extra money towards your smallest amount. And then once you pay off the smallest amount, you put that, whatever your minimum payment was on that, plus all of your extra money onto the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So eventually, by the time you get to the last one, you're able to allocate a huge amount of money per month to that one big debt, because you're not paying off all those minimum mm-hmm. balances anymore. So near the end, it actually ends up going faster. Right. Yeah. And so in like a typical scenario, it will actually take the same amount of time to pay off all of your debt and you will end up paying a few extra hundred dollars in interest, which if you get it done is not that big a deal in the scheme of like most, I think I saw a statistic today that the average Canadian household right now has about $16,000 in non-mortgage debt on credit cards and whatnot. So $16,000 versus $250 that you're going to save if you actually like finish paying that off, like that's, that's a pretty okay price to pay for motivation for a lot of people. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Of course, Dave Ramsey has taken this and been like, my method is the scienciest. And <laughs> but it, it does make a lot of sense. And then there's also basically when you put money toward a debt, you feel the best when you can look at the balance and see that the balance, like the percentage that you still have to pay has gone down a significant amount. And I feel like I'm not explaining this very well, but... I get it, because I had that spreadsheet set up for my post-divorce debt conciliation. Yeah. And inputting the numbers each month and going, okay, this is what it it should be coming down to, and here's what the interest is, and yeah, made it much less disheartening. Feeling like it was never going to end. Yeah. Well, it still felt like it was never going to end. Well, but I mean, towards the end, I remember how excited you were when you were like, I just paid off a third of the rest of my loan. You know, like that feels amazing when Mm -hmm. you can pay off a big chunk of whatever you have left on that. And that's why it helps so much to start with the little ones. And -hmm. there was even some advice on like, obviously run the numbers for your own debt and figure out which of these methods will really, you know, if the avalanche is going to save you $10,000, do that. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing that and you start to get demoralized, pay off one of your little small balances and then you'll feel better again mm-hmm. and you'll get back to it's, doing it's the thing. It's that whole like big goals versus small goals yeah. thing for any aspect of life, right? You might be working on, you know, some kind of academic thing or, or life thing and you just, you know, it's such a long haul. So yeah, go do a little thing that makes you feel good yeah. and then you'll get back into it. Definitely. Do they note too that rule number one is you need to stop accumulating debt? Oh yeah, for that's all, of all this, over. Though, yeah. Because that's the part where I think a lot of people are like, okay, I got to pay off this debt, and they just keep racking it up, and probably <laughs> on one, one of our of those... panelists is slowly raising their hand. <laughs> yeah, because none of these methods, of course, are going to work. But that's where a lot of people will say, okay, I'm using this method. I keep paying off the small one. It's great. But they're not taking into account that they're continuing to rack it up elsewhere. I apologize. I did not mention this very obvious point because I was (laughs) tired of reading it in all of the articles. Stop spending money if you want to pay off your debt. Like, I I used to watch Till Dead Do Us Part all the time, which, if anybody's not familiar, was a Canadian TV show with Gail Bazog Slade, and she talked to people who were in a lot of debt and taught them how not to be in debt anymore and how to deal with the debt that they were in. And so she talked about all these methods. And it wasn't a divorce show? It sounds debt. like a divorce... No, I know. It sounds okay. like a no, divorce show. Well, it, it was like... Because it was about families that were in this situation. There was a lot of couples, but there was also like... Um, 
you know, there was a single parent in one situation. There was like a, a family that had multi generational lending going on and, mm-hmm. and money, like money issues because there were multiple adults in the family. Like, anyway. So it was all about how, yeah, debt can tear your family, whatever it happens to be, apart because it's a terrible thing if it gets out of hand. Like, it, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. And so, yeah. It was about, you know, saving your relationship and remembering that your relationship is important and as well as paying off your debt. Yeah. Isn't money, like, the most thing that families might over? families apart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's the thing that we're not supposed to talk about it. You know, we, we just go into everything. We, we keep hush-hush. Oh, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get along totally well. Yeah, no problem. And then when it gets down to it, oh, you're spending money like this? Oh, but I wanted to share money like that and blah, 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 blah. On it yeah. goes. So we set ourselves up for these problems. Our society has so many weird rules that make no sense. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I find this all very interesting. I love strategies mm-hmm. and figuring out like the and the fact that this is so counterintuitive, but that's great. Find a strategy that works for you and don't trust your squishy human brain to right. just like to figure it out. I'll just do it the way that I should do. No, just like use a strategy. Yeah. yeah. Our brains are bad. Even Our if it's are not bad at doing best. things well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe as we were saying, just don't spend as much money on Christmas and you'll have a lot fewer problems in January. Mm-hmm. The um, number of bankruptcies spikes the third week of January, like Ooh. sky high. Because, oh. because that's, when, that's when everybody's bills come due, which is just heartbreaking. Like, yeah. it's so unnecessary. Those were probably coming, and people knew it was happening, and they're like, one last Christmas. Right? If, it, if this I is coming, know. I mean... I feel like if if you're going to have if your decision is that January, you knew it was coming. Either that or you bought the village in Spain. <laughs> you couldn't afford it. There's a village in France that's over a million. Oh, okay. So solid gold rolling papers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> bankruptcy and cancer. Sweetie, we are nowhere near bankruptcy, don't you worry. <laughs> Well, I have some things to talk about that you all can definitely cross off your gift lists. I thought that I wanted to be the the chipper one around here after all this. As you always are. And go back to that original idea of unnecessary Christmas, because we have all gotten a gift or seen something in a store going, who, who in the world would use this item? Yodeling pickle. Yodeling pickle, exactly. We've already talked about a few of them, so I wanted to go through... Just a few that I found. Talk about a couple that I or family members have received as well. Are we going to have to talk about Jem's socks again? <laughs> no, I think... <laughs> I, those, those were a great gift. I love them. They're still my favorite pair of socks. I, I considered it, but that horse has been long dead. So I figured we'd move on. So I want to start it off with a fantastic gift that I received several years ago. It was a pair of gloves. It was a very special pair of gloves. My I don't know brother if- is a very nice man. <laughs> Usually. Special gloves. Special gloves. They are Bluetooth gloves. Can you guess? I'm interested. Can you guess what they might be for? I'm a little scared to guess. Are they massaging? No. I'm just going to show you. Hold out your hand. Bend Bend down down your your middle middle three three fingers. fingers And hold it up to your head. They are phone gloves. Where the speaker is in the thumb and the microphone is in the pinky. That 100% sounds like something your brother would love. (laughs) (laughs) To just be walking around like this, talking on the actual phone. Yeah. Yeah. Have you Uh, ever actually made a call on them? No. No, you have to. No. (laughs) 
for science, Laura. No. For science. I don't, well, first of all, I don't wear, once it gets really cold, I don't really wear gloves because my hands get cold immediately. And so I need giant fluffy mitts. And yeah. so I just don't consider wearing gloves for anybody. Anybody who buys me gloves in the winter, I'm not going to wear them. Sorry. <laughs> and the one thing you want to make sure about your uh, clothing is that it is not washable. <laughs> yeah. Especially hands. Ugh. Especially hands with dirty cars and children's sticky fingers and stuff like that that I have to deal with. So if anybody out there has, in fact, used a pair of these, I would love to know your experience, but I have not. So yeah, Bluetooth gloves I just for making phone calls. calls. <laughs> yeah, this was several years and also, ago. Because where the speaker and the microphone are, mm-hmm. like, it makes your thumb pretty bulky. <laughs> and yeah. it's in the right hand, too. Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Works for me. I love it. Sipa. Okay, I love this segment already. <laughs> Another thing that a family member of mine once received was a special pair of kitchen scissors, as marketed through the As Seen on TV store. Woo. And they're called the Clever Cutter. So they combine a sharp knife and a cutting board all oh, in one. I've seen those. <laughs> <laughs> so it, if you imagine, it's a pair of scissors and the top is is the, the knife okay. and the bottom is a, you know, inch, inch and a half wide cutting board mm-hmm. and you're supposed to use it to just snip right there snip all your things right into your pot of soup and that yeah. um my father tried to use it he uh-huh. really did and they did not work really <laughs> because you don't get the right leverage yeah. on them because it just kind of shoots your thing everywhere you'd have to have the bottom of it sitting on something stable to get the proper leverage in yeah. which case you might as well be you using cutting a cutting board. board and especially okay like in some of the videos and pictures it shows people cutting hard vegetables like parsnips and carrots so that's not going to be an easy thing like you would use normal snips for herbs or something Mm -hmm. very soft right so yeah they don't work I'm just imagining your dad as one of those like hapless as seen on TV infomercial people it's really delightful (laughs) he was more angrily frustrated (laughs) yes this is believable I wish those worked because it would be so so much easier for me in the office. I have a little cutting board and a tiny little knife that they won't get scared that I have in the office so I can cut up my tomatoes or my cucumbers or something for my lunch. Right. Because I don't want to pre-cut them because who has time at six o'clock in the morning? Right. Right. And it's like, speaking of herbs, I really kind of want one of those pairs of scissors that has like six different blades that you can trim herbs with. So you go and it only takes, you know, a few snips instead of a hundred. Oh my God. Like. I've, I've never heard of that, no, but that sounds not. amazing. Those were, so I looked through a lot of lists of like worst and unnecessary and silly and that, and those scissors actually made it onto those lists. Yeah. But I find that a lot of those lists are very subjective. It depends on what you want and how often you do things. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need a tea steeper that's shaped like the Loch Ness Monster, but I want cool. one now. <laughs> yeah. Did you really look through hundreds of lists or did you look through five lists hundreds of times on different websites? I looked through like seven <laughs> once. You know what I mean? Yes. They all have the same the stuff. They all had the same you stuff. Have seen those Herb Sisters though? No. Really cool. I know Alton Brown would castigate me for it, but I quite enjoy certain single-use kitchen items for things that I do a lot. Like, I have one of those... It is a kitchen gadget, a hand-cranked kitchen gadget that peels, cores, and slices apples. It's an apple peeler core slicer. I have one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it is is wonderful because I make apple crisps all the time because they're one of the greatest gifts that God gave man. (laughs) (laughs) My mother gives everyone an apple peeler core slicer. Oh, it's so it, good. You have to say it that way. Apple peeler, core, or slicer. Yeah. 
So that's that's a gift idea. See, that one is it has a specific purpose, but that task also does have a lot of steps if you do it manually. You know, if you make a lot of apple pies or apple yeah. anything, there is a lot of steps, and you end up having like I have a manual apple corer, which is kind of a pain in the butt, and then you have oh. to have a peeler, and then and you have to knife. use a knife and so a cutting board. It so this three re- or four exactly, yeah. and so yeah, it only does one thing, but it actually does multiple things. The worst thing is the thing that it's like a grilled cheese maker or like. <laughs> You know, something that is like a big appliance that makes one particular food that is totally unnecessary. That's a pain in the butt. If you're having a grilled cheese like five times a week... You know, like I could see a grilled cheese maker. Like, you know, YMMV. But you could just get a panini press and use it for any variety of things. Anyway, this is not my point. You can also use the peeler core slicer to peel potatoes as long as you take off the... Cutting blade. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or you could just have, like, spiral sliced potatoes. <laughs> Wasn't there an as-seen-on-TV thing called the Rotato? I yes. don't know. <laughs> yes, there was. Okay, this thing that we have is not a Rotato, but it is something similar. I'm not even joking, I'm actually. I'm sure you are not. Okay, all right. So other, other things. I did go through the online catalog of the as-seen-on-TV store, and there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of stuff. Um, But one thing that I couldn't help but mention was the inhaler. It is (laughs) a Himalayan salt inhaler. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a little contraption, you know, a little (laughs) egg-sized contraption that you just hold under your nose and you sniff sniff the ions of the Himalayan salt. Why? The tagline, like a breath of fresh air. No. No. Salty air. (laughs) Oh no! Briny. I, I just I couldn't help but mention. I mean, we've we've talked about Himalayan salt. That's pretty out there. But just the fact that it was an inhaler, it was yeah, pretty great. So you can go there for interesting things. Other unnecessary Christmassy kinds of things. Well, apparently a couple years ago, a couple of uh, grocery stores in the UK started selling a bunch of holiday spice or holiday flavored things, including bleach. They sold, like, <laughs> mulled spice bleach for the holidays. To make your home smell bleachy, but also spicy? I guess so. And people did not let them forget that, which is pretty awesome. I'm I'm really glad for like that. pumpkin spice bleach or apple cider bleach? Yeah, like mulled spices bleach. Yeah, yeah. So, buy it. you know, they kind of made fun of the, the hand soap, but it's like, I get that. People buy scented hand soap all the time. Why wouldn't you buy, you know, cinnamony orangey hand soap. That mm-hmm. makes sense. But bleach? Mm, I don't really? like the smell of bleach. Lauren does. Lauren loves the smell of bleach. It smells like clean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I wouldn't trust that this would smell any better. That's fair. Because it's also bleach. Yeah, like but lemon-scented it, bleach doesn't really smell like lemon. And if it smelled good and somebody's like, oh, maybe it tastes good. I'm not saying one of us at the table. I'm saying maybe one of the little people yeah, who never the people yeah, at the table. Yeah, exactly. So just... You know, leave your cleaning products, especially your heavy-duty, dangerous cleaning products, alone. They don't need holiday spices. <laughs> what else is some interesting or unnecessary Christmas stuff? Um, you can buy Christmas dinner in a can, the Christmas yes. tinner. Yep. yep. There's a couple other ones. I actually came across a variety that has a self-heating can, so you don't even need to empty the contents. Oh, no. <laughs> your face actually was awesome. <laughs> um, you don't even need to empty the contents into a dish and then stick in the microwave. In eight to ten minutes, the can heats itself, and you get your ten-course Christmas dinner. Is it like one of those snappy hand warmers? Like how? Do they... I don't know. I, I didn't look know into it too far, is. but the idea must be so horrifying for people who don't like their food to touch, because it's all just <laughs> layers of food. 
Well, it, it all just sounds awful, and it's all jellied. Yeah. And just, oh, it, like, nobody's actually eating this. Like, if you're really missing a Christmas dinner, you're not eating this, because this is not a Christmas dinner. It's disgusting. But I had to mention it. Self-heating can, everybody. You can get, of course, any kind of decor is Christmassy. You can turn anything into a Santa. They have kits to turn your entire toilet into a Santa from top-down view. You know, the little, the hat part That's is on the dirty. tank. And his face is on the is on the lid and then his suit is on the mat around Uh the floor so yeah that's gross um you can get christmas themed condom variety packs do they taste like peppermint they come with peppermint lube and strawberry which is weird but i guess they couldn't figure out a different yeah it's red so they couldn't figure out like a more christmasy flavor well also peppermint might be a little burny well so would cinnamon yeah but you know nothing says christmas like your frosty made out of three white condoms so But hey, why not? Christmas tree ridges? That would be, I don't know. I did not look into them that far. (laughs) Couple other things here. On that same note, why is there sexy Santa? Like, why is sexy Santa a thing? Because sexy everything. I know, but sexy Santa is particularly just like, eh. Okay, what about the Christmas sweaters with the reindeer boobs? Have you seen that? No. No. Okay, amazing. So, you take a Christmas sweater, normally just a plain color... And you cut out one oh, hole. Oh, wait. One hole around your boobs so your boob sticks out. And then you put a pom-pom and antlers on it so you yes, have reindeer boobs. I have seen this kind of thing now that you remind me. Thank so you for that. So bad. Ugh. So, sexy Santa anything is totally unnecessary. I did find a picture of this uh, little porcelain figurine of Santa and Mrs. Claus naked in a bathtub getting it on, though. Because everybody needs this. <laughs> It's weird, like, just in and of itself, but it's especially weird when you look closely and you realize that their bodies very clearly, like, merge around navel level. Oh, yeah. But you can find a reindeer G-string for your man candy, and I do have the picture of that. man candy! (laughs) It's just so bad in so many ways. Was that a Santa merman? Yep, it was a ripped Santa merman. (laughs) So, like, King Triton with a different hat? Uh, he's wearing a glitter hoodie. <laughs> of course he is. Awesome. Last but not least, apparently farting Santa and farting elf pillows yeah. are a thing. It's just the lower half of them with a naked butt and they fart when you squeeze them. Why? Why is this a thing? So when we talk about consumer gifts and spending too much money and environmental degradation... Do not buy these things. I do not ever want to receive these. They are so horrible. Please. Unnecessary Christmas. <laughs> Something that I'm surprised you didn't touch on that I want to mention that would have probably made a good segment, but now I'm just going to rant about it, is the toys that prepare your children to live in a surveillance state. So oh God, things yeah. like Elf on the Shelf. I was going to mention that too. So Elf on the Shelf, if you have been living under a rock for the past five years, is a toy that's supposed to report back to Santa about what your children are doing and make sure that they're good little children until Christmas and parents go out of their way to like move them every day and get them into shenanigans. And like I can see the appeal of it. I think it's really funny when parents do, like, really, mm-hmm. you know, cute things with them and have them, like, get into trouble and whatever. But it really is just, like, we're watching you yeah. at all times. Yeah, I didn't realize that was part of it. Uh, we don't do it and we won't do it. But, yeah, I just thought it was this funny thing and you had to find the elf. I mm-hmm. didn't realize this. At first, I didn't realize this whole report back to Santa thing 
was was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of families don't actually play that part of it up. I think a lot of families really just do the where's the elf today? Right. You know, what's he doing? This kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, he's an elf. You but know, it's maybe in the book that Santa. comes with yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, this is going to sound smug. I feel like a lot of families don't spend a lot of time considering the implications of a lot of the messaging that, that goes sure. to... You better not cry. You better, you know, like yeah. Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, so be good. You don't want to be on the naughty list. Blah, blah, blah. The other thing that is much more explicit is, so I got a Cricut for myself. It's a cutting machine that you can cut vinyl and cardstock and all kinds of things. And so I joined a bunch of Facebook groups to learn how to use it because that's what I do with my life now. And uh, everybody who makes stuff to sell is super sick of this item, but it is so incredibly popular that some people pay for their whole Christmas by making them. Santa Cam Ornaments. So you take one of those lenses for cell phones that you can get at the dollar store and glue it onto an ornament and then basically write Santa Cam on it, like property of North Pole surveillance or whatever, and hang it on your tree so that your children know that Santa is watching them. Creepy. The whole industry of like forcing Santa's watching you. Yeah, it's totally real. All of this has been taken to levels I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I, I just hear about things and like, wow, and Whatever like, happened to just, yeah, he's this guy, he brings you gifts, well, and wait for it. I don't know. <laughs> and it's a cute Santa. idea for like two seconds, and then you think about it and like, ugh. Yeah. Well, Santa is part of an unnecessary Christmas to me. Why do this elaborate lie to your child? Maybe I, I don't get this as a child-free person. It's a good critical thinking exercise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. I mean, there's tradition in it. The idea of like exciting things that you didn't know were coming is really lovely and warm in a way it's a tough one and then just when you live in society like we don't deny santa is a character or anything but we've always been pretty open but kira's kind of believing in it now we've never like oh yeah santa's real we've never ever done that she's just because of she's daycare and school she's and, around peers yeah, and, and all the cartoons and, she watches i'm sure and yep. like it's a, it's a thing right um there is lo- One thing that I really like, though, with all this push with Elf on the Shelf, all this surveillance that you say, there's a lot of people posting on social media to make sure that if you're giving big ticket items, make it from yourself. Yes, Mm -hmm. Santa gifts should be fun little things that are, yeah, exciting, something different, but don't give the Xbox, don't give the trip to Disney World from Santa, don't do that, because then when your kids come back to school and say... Santa left me with a laptop and a new iPhone and the latest Xbox, and the kid next door goes, I got pajamas from Santa, what gives? That's pretty awful. So always, if you're going to give your kids big ticket stuff, always make it from yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus, you and should get credit for that. You should get credit. <laughs> like, get credit for that. Let your kids understand. And then you can have meaningful conversations with your kids about Definitely. why we have something. Why and we have an Xbox. and Johnny's family doesn't have an, an Xbox instead of like, oh, well, Santa something, and then, Santa oh, likes Johnny bad, yeah. or, you know, those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and so I do really appreciate that, that yeah. push for people. And I, I hope that people continue we can tell that. our children why we're in debt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, a Facebook friend of mine last year worked a ton of extra hours and just put in all this effort so that she could get her kid like a VR thing for their PlayStation and it was like a really big deal for her and she posted around Christmas time saying like I feel so guilty about this but I'm putting my name on that present not Santa because I put in all this work for it and everybody's like 
you should not have to feel guilty about not putting Santa's name on this. Santa doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why, like, we don't need to, having a fun, fictional kind of character, and especially when you're a kid, like, there's always things that happen that, you know, you don't, you're not aware of, because you're a kid, right? And mm -hmm. so it's fun to wake up with an extra gift under the tree that you didn't see. Like, that in itself is fine, but we don't need to play into this so much yeah. that parents are feeling bad about the things that they worked very hard for. The last few years before Santa became, like, for sure not real, my favorite part of Christmas almost was, like putting up elaborate traps to catch parents <laughs> in the act. Because, like, I knew that Santa wasn't real, but I wanted to prove it to myself. <laughs> so, like, it started out very much like I would put my stocking on the inside of my door instead of the outside of my door so that someone would have to open the door to get it and it had jingle bells on it. <laughs> that, that wasn't part of the trap. That's just how my mom made them. <laughs> yeah. Ashley, but, yeah. did you watch Home Alone at too young of an age? Possibly. <laughs> I never liked it as a kid, though. I like oh, really? it more now. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I yeah. loved it as a kid. But my mom would see it before we got to sleep. Went, you need to put that on the outside of your door. Santa won't come. <laughs> uh, and then... When I finally, like, Tyler and I ganged up on mom one year and was just like, Santa always has the same wrapping paper and Santa has the same handwriting as you. And, you know, we'd, we put together our case and went to her and was like, <laughs> seriously, mom, you have to admit it at this point. We know it's fake. And when she finally said, yeah, of course it's fake, we were like, oh, now the game is over. <laughs> yeah. Is it any wonder that you became a skeptic and he became a cop? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's lots of things about Christmas that are unnecessary and overhyped, but... Including, including the holiday itself. If sure. you don't celebrate Christmas, that is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I used to not, but then I married these two. <laughs> okay. I love Christmas. My Christmas cake has been soaking in rum for three weeks now. I really want to make some aged eggnog. And that is a bridge too far for me. <laughs> That's fair. That's a lot of booze in it. It's very attractive. And I love nutmeg. Why don't we just sit and drink booze like we normally do? Because I like to make stuff. Why do we have to ruin it with egg? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't you make, like, aged, like, almond nog or something? We could. Just give me some booze. <laughs> <laughs> Put an ice cube in it if you want to be fancy. <laughs> Put it in a glass. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Not a mason jar tumbler. <laughs> However you celebrate December, we hope you have an excellent one and get to spend it with people you like. Absolutely. Thanks for spending some of it with us. And we'll talk to you in January. What are we talking about then, Jim? I had uh, a mini panic attack about 20 minutes ago when I realized somebody was going to ask me that question. <laughs> we are going to be uh, kicking it old school. We're going to talk about some pseudoscience. Uh, we're, we're all going to pick a pseudoscience and just give a brief primer on it. Nice. Awesome. Cool. One of our very old school shows. Yeah. Everybody mm. picks a topic. <laughs> Heading back to the Wikipedia list of pseudosciences for me. <laughs> Which one will it be this time? All right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Good, Good night. night. Good night. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Ashlyn Noble and Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Lauren Bailey.
Don't talk to me about life. The gift goop guide contains a subset. Yes, say that a few times. <laughs> Is it not the goop gift guide? The goop gift guide. Yeah, you That's said gift goop guide. <laughs> the gifty goopy guidey. <laughs> this is like like I'm just imagining like an actor warming up. Gift goop guide. Gift goop guide. <laughs> well, there's there's no there's no like feminine care products this year that. Uh... Or what about a ridiculously priced article of clothing that is literally. Something you could buy for $5. What about the, like, smoothie additives that she... <laughs> the rest of this paragraph is about vaginas. Please let me get to it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> segway beggars can't be Segway choosers.